2: You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners
1: Ready, and I'm joined by Matt to Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going great, you know, uh, 600 kilometers of driving, and I managed to get back 15 minutes before we started this.
2: The whole shed. And the live chat room. Thanks you for your dedication. You can watch us recording this show live by going to YouTube and searching for Missed Apex Podcast. Chuck us a subscribe and do come and hang out with us in the live chat room. We tend to go for Sunday, 8pm, unless there's any other factors like a late race. We're an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong... But we're first, we're also joined by
3: Chris Stevens. Hi, Chris. Hi, Spanners. I've already upset the chat room by saying boo to tyre talk. There may
2: be some tyre talk later on, but I think there's some more pressing team news to dive into. Uh, We're joined for the first time since April by Sarah Nichols. How's it going?
4: It's going well. Started preparing for for Halloween already, which is... Scaring the hell out of me.
2: Ah, Halloween. All the kids in our neighbourhood have decided they want to go as box trolls. Well, hey, 2014 called. It wants its popular kids movie reference back. But 2014, I think, box trolls, they're all going as box trolls. Sarah, it should be said that it has not been a lack of commitment to the missed apex cause. Uh, You and I threw ourselves fully into the, the W series and covered all six rounds of that
4: yeah that's been that's been a really good fun change of pace from the uh, live stream. It's a bit more chilled, a bit more relaxed. Sure, it doesn't feel like that way for the uh, w series drivers, but it did feel like that way for us. So thoroughly enjoyed that.
2: yeah, we felt perhaps we didn't have the interest to run it as a live stream. So we did it as kind of an offline thing, which we don't do much of actually, apart from the Patreon podcast. So yeah, it was. It was a really nice change of pace. and thanks for joining us for that, but looking forward to having you now for the end of the season and over the winter. Guys, there has been loads of news to catch up on. The back-to-backs always mean we miss out on a lot of news stories, but it is now time for Big Dirty News. Okay, Matt, it is, it is time to talk about McLaren Mercedes, And I will clarify, by the way, if you listen back to my comments talking about Paul DeResta and the way he pronounces Mercedes, I was actually defending him I wasn't denying that I found it annoying and jarring, but I was defending him because that's how him and his people say it. And it's a legitimate pronunciation and it's up to us to get over it. So just just for the few people who thought I was, uh, you know, digging my heels in, I wasn't, I was saying, we need to accept that as Martin Brundle does more VLN, we're going to have a lot more Mercedes, and we're going to have from 2021 McLaren Mercedes,
1: And that is a good thing. Unless you are, of course, a fan of Renault. So the interesting thing to me about this is that that when I came back to Formula One and started watching, it was McLaren, Mercedes versus uh, mainly Ferrari and then Red Bull. And then it went away. And you thought, what were you thinking? And then they got Honda. And you thought, why would you treat them that badly? And now in a fit of i don't know would you call it sanity yes they've signed with mercedes and this is going to be interesting because of the way they have designed their car thus far i mean 2021's big regulation changes anyway but they have of uh, the midfield they're one of the few i guess you could say technically along with renault who who have the know-how to actually be a world champion i mean i've sort of taken williams out of that because i'm just assuming they're suffering from other financial problems that make this said thing impossible. But everybody is wondering, how will this go? Because as I understood it, Lauda said that Mercedes should have given Red Bull engines, but Toto said no. He said they shouldn't give engines to McLaren. And now Toto has turned around and said, yeah, so it's all going to be quite interesting, right, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's worth pointing out that
3: when it was very clear that things gonna weren't going to work out with Honda – McLaren always wanted to go back to Mercedes and this Renault deal for two years was uh, more or three years, I should say uh, was more a rebound engine, a little <laughs> bridge after the divorce uh, with, with Honda. And I uh, you can see why, but Ron Dennis said when they went to Honda, you can only win in formula one these days. If you're a works team, you cannot win as a customer. And that's still true unfortunately and it probably still will be true in in 2021 so i don't really see i can i can see mclaren moving forwards but can they win races
2: i okay look i just want to just break that point down a bit yes it, it seems on the surface that you cannot win unless you're a works team i i don't think that's i mean yeah it seems true let let me see where am i going with this It's only true because of the huge financial difference currently between the works teams and and the customer teams. So there's correlation there, but not necessarily causation, Chris. When the rules change, other teams might not be prohibited from winning just because they're a a works team. There are regulations, they have to give you the same engines. It's just at the moment, a a McLaren or a a force Stroll can't possibly pour in the same race resources as mercedes it's not just an engine formula as much as people have been saying its
3: i'm gonna disagree slightly with mclaren just because they do have a significant budget behind them certainly a heck of a lot more than warrants their position on the grid and this isn't just a, an engine related thing they haven't won a race since 2012 so, you had two years of them still being with McLaren where they went really, really downhill. Their last Constructors' Championship was in 1998, and they've won one driver's title since then. And I'm sorry to lay into the McLaren about this, but they cannot just keep hiding behind. Oh, we haven't got the, the right engine. There are fundamental issues there. Now, they're going in the right direction, you know, pouring the investment into the new wind tunnel. Seidel has come on and just revitalized the team. They're the top of the midfield at the moment but bridging that gap to the top 3 teams and then trying to take on mercedes i cannot see that happening.
2: All right then Matt let's let's put it in real simple terms. If if we magically teleported uh, the mercedes engine into the current mclaren which seems to be at least the measure of the works renault team would mclaren be the measure of mercedes at the moment. That's 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 what we're looking at isn't it? That's the improvement and the step they're making.
1: Yeah they would not be at the moment because they are behind on the rest of the side the chassis side and the the handling side the aero side let's just call it however they have the budget they can spend they can choose to spend the money on catching up and as we have all learned and i'm going to i'm going to say the following thing williams 2014 as we have all learned With a big regulation change, opportunity exists. And if there's anyone out there outside of Renault that is well-placed to take advantage of it, I'm going to have to say McLaren. They're already running with a proto front wing design that we'll see in 21. They've taken off a lot of the downforce. You see how well their car is already doing relative to the other midfielders. And they have essentially almost two years to get it right. And they're going to have one of the most reliable and powerful engines on the entire grid strapped into the back of their car. So yes, if it's going to happen, I do see McLaren being a team that can absolutely pull it off. And McLaren going with Mercedes is is the right option for
3: them, even though you could argue that Ferrari have got a superior power unit to them at the moment in terms of all out pace. Going with Mercedes is still the right choice. Uh, and not least because it's a very clear uh, brand clash, in their words, uh, especially for the road car uh, division. But um also there was the opportunity there to make their own engines, but they can't really do They don't even make their own engines in their road cars. So trying to do that for a Formula One engine, they considered it if the power units were going to get a lot simpler for 21 as originally planned. But that seems to have gone out the window now.
1: Yeah. And and consider as well, uh, it's not just the investment and the time, but they also have the heritage to pull this off. They have the institutional memory. We are champions. And we saw the surprise with Williams in 2014. I don't know. I just I like it as an outside bet. And I could I could see them on the podium. Absolutely. in 21, assuming they get assuming they get it right. Always a big if. If they get it right, I could see them on the podium winning a race. I don't know. But the other point I wanted to make, and I do apologize, Carter, Carter said to us, Renault would never let a team beat them. And we saw what happened to Tara With <laughs> Ferrari, we see the trick that they played to get their last engine only into the works team and none of the other Ferrari engine customers. We've never seen Mercedes do that. So I would also argue that if there was a work supplier that was going to play fairly, I think Mercedes is your only choice. Uh well, well I think no comment um, on Honda. Yeah, I know. Sorry. I
2: think um yeah, Sarah's probably best placed to to answer this from a company and a brand point of view. Like Renault don't seem to mind being seen as a bit not of nastier. That they come across as a bit like the big bads. Like they can come across as a bit blunt. Uh whereas Mercedes I think it would really hurt them and hurt their kind of team image and like make them, they would have meetings about how bad they felt if there was a a suspicion that they were turning down customer engines.
4: I think the Mercedes team and the the larger, because Mercedes has got this uh, specific heritage within German motorsport, uh, which has a certain manufacturing ethos around it as well. So coming from that, coming into the team and its own location-based heritage Renault's got it's got a larger corporate feeling it's um I can't remember whether the group is bigger but it's definitely more willing to just put itself above everything else to get what it wants and i think this move pairing these sort of the two heritage brands it's good for both partners as well whereas with Renault it's always just going to be it's a transactional uh, agreement with Renault oh, with right. Mercedes It's going to be a, it's actually going to be more of a partnership because they've got this heritage together. They've got, um, that it's a much more marketable partnership to begin with for both parties. Whereas with Renault, Renault probably McLaren Renault. Is it, is it really a brand that people want to keep on their shirts forever? But, in terms of, the, you know, the, yeah. just at the very lowest level of merchandising, let alone anything else.
2: So on that, let's say 2021, McLaren come out of the box with a great aero package and Lando Norris and and uh, Carlos Sainz are really disrupting Lewis Hamilton in his farewell season, in his attempt to finally get that eighth world title. How, how do you see that, you know, are Mercedes just going to go, OK, fair play, we'll, we'll see you on track?
4: No, I think, well... I- Yes, actually, they are going to say fair play because I think they, as a team, know the value of competition on the track, True. and they yes. know the value of that. How disruptive the progress of a team like McLaren Mercedes is going to be for the Red Bull and um, Renault as well. So it kind of effectively neuters, potentially effectively neuters Red Bull as that kind of third party on the on the
3: track. In an odd way. It's a huge risk for McLaren because they will have nowhere to hide. Yep. If they don't compete with the top guys, there's literally no, no reason for them other than themselves. It's like, um, 2014 all over again. Why were they a midfield team? Incidentally, the last time they scored a podium.
2: Well, Chris, it, it was, it, that rot started before that. It was 2013. Yeah. That was pre-hybrid and they were still uh, falling down the grid. They were regularly failing to make Q3, Chris. That That's where, that obviously 2012, they were quick, but the engines were blowing up. 2013, they just didn't have the pace. They weren't up the top end of the grid.
3: Yeah, it wasn't, even, well, it wasn't even just the engines. It seemed like everything would go wrong um, with that car. And you would argue that Lewis Hampton should have been world champion that year. He's only had enough um, wins for it. Um, but there are, there are two kind of spin-off stories um, that have come off the back of this that I really would like to address uh, because they're just flat out lies, really. Um, one of them is that Mercedes are going to be pulling out and McLaren are going to become the de facto uh, Mercedes works outfit like there were before Mercedes made a return to Formula One. That's just... Oh, I'd not, not heard that, that one. I'd not heard that. That's uh, a good rumour. Well, Wish I'd started the, that. Yeah. Oh, there's always <laughs> talks about Mercedes leaving. It's just not true. Um, and uh, that Lando Norris is now managed by Mercedes, which is just factually incorrect. He isn't managed by Mercedes.
2: Okay, good. No, well worth addressing because those rumours, uh, certainly the second one about Lando Norris was was everywhere. I think uh, to wrap up the McLaren Mercedes because they've gone full circle here. Is this is this the same McLaren that was taking massive performance versus reliability risks in 2012 that was failing? In 2013 had parts working better upside down than the right way up, then decided that Mercedes was the reason they weren't doing well, even though they weren't the second best Mercedes team. That was the craziness of it. Oh, yeah, we'll never win. All right. You might never win the championship, but start by beating uh, Force India. Start start there. You know, is this the same team that then doubled down and kept sticking with Honda, even though it wasn't working, that particular relationship? And then the same team that blamed Honda for everything, ditched them, went to Renault. What I'd put to you, Matt, is there's been enough of a change in that organisation that this is not that same McLaren that seemed to be making horrific error and, and and tactical tactical strategic development blunders year after year. I get a real sense it's a different McLaren.
1: I actually used to make jokes because recall that about the same time McLaren started to go what we over here would certainly term downhill rapidly, uh, they were spending a lot of money getting their road car division up and running. And I, I used to make jokes that the problem for Formula One is that they go in to get spare parts and the road car people would have come in and taken them in the meantime. And I would agree with you with the departure of Dennis, with, um, Mansour Oje having taken over the team permanently. And and now we've got Zach Brown in there who, to my great surprise and to his great credit, has really seemed to turn things around. I think you're once again looking at a team that now has the financing in place to uh, compete at the sharp end.
2: Okay, who wants to educate me on the new McLaren uh, team principal? Because I don't even know his name. I've I've seen him start to pop up. But look, we're all drawing a blank.
4: Here are some results from a search.
2: Really, Google, I don't need your search results right now.
4: (laughs) I'm so glad that was you and not me. Okay.
2: Google, who is the new uh, McLaren uh, team principal? Instead of Google, I'll ask you, Chris. Chris, tell us about the McLaren team principal.
3: So, Andrea Seidel, who uh, played a big part in uh, Porsche's success in the World Endurance (laughs) Championship. That's his baseball card. Okay, there we go. Do we know anything more about him? Uh, Off the top of my head, I think
1: Matt probably has more to hand. I believe he comes from a technical engineering background, um, and he's considered to be organizationally, I think he's made a fair amount. uh, He had a fair amount of changes he wanted to make, and my recollection the interview with him is he was very insistent on uh, having the departments communicate correctly with each other and working on streamlining and simplifying the decision-making process. So, um, But he's simply someone who comes from a team that won how many straight World Endurance Championships at Le Mans and has experience working with, because WEC has similar hybrid propensities to Formula One, someone has a great deal of experience Making decisions about power units that are built in the same fashion as Formula One.
4: And I think this is, is kind of a, he sounds like such a good balance to what we know of Zach Brown or what I know of Zach Brown. And one of the things you always see in the Mercedes kind of the success, they always put it down to being the team. And there's a lot of emphasis on doing the actual person, the human stuff right. Um, not just the technical stuff. And if he's got that technical knowledge and he's got the organizational nonce, as it were, then they're setting themselves up in a very good
1: way. Right. Uh, Robin Van Dyke in the chat room uh, reminds us that he actually started as an aero engineer at Sauber and then went to BMW and later on to Porsche. So he's got a really uh, well-rounded background to have the job he currently has. Good.
2: Well, I I think, you know, a McLaren that is functioning near the top of Formula One is good for Formula One. It's still a fantastic and historic... F1 outfit so I'm looking forward to good things I'm going to turn to Chris Stevens and see if you can help me unravel a bit more of the mystery of the whole Williams Kubica uh, they're going to sue there's a the performance clause not a performance clause a, a participation clause uh, He's he's not happy he's getting the right amount of of F1, I don't know. And of course, this is all coming off the back of the, the rumour, I think it was, that he was retired from the Russian Grand Prix to save parts.
3: Yeah, so you know how we were talking about, uh, no, no, their problems are not financially related yes, at all. Yep. Um, well, in in fairness, this is an issue, an issue that uh, midfield teams, especially ones at the back of the grid that are lacking a bit of money, tend to, to come up with, with all these these back-to-black um flyaway races uh, it is difficult to to get new parts up there uh, and especially because they're bringing this experimental front wing to Suzuka as well apparently so you know they do have to consider it but uh, you may remember George Russell going out under the VSC uh, in Sochi having just made his pit stop it was a wheel failure uh, which caused his crash and uh, they they didn't want the same thing to happen on Kubitz's car and because they were short on those spare parts they thought it best to have him not complete the rest of the race which from if you're a sponsor on that car you're going to be quite upset about that because that's airtime you're not getting
2: so so all in who are they they're robert kubitz's backers are they okay so they're the ones that are unhappy so it's not the fact that that Robert's had less track time or he's not getting the car underneath him that they feel he deserves? Is it, is it literally because they could have had their name circulating around the F1 track? Uh, Matt?
1: Yeah, well, the way they phrased it in the report uh, is they were requesting clarification, but that they felt that this was a contractual matter as in by, have, by retiring him to, quote, save parts, which is uh, what I believe Dave Robson confirmed was the case. That the contract Orlin has with Williams, uh, presumably to fund uh, Kubitz's seat, had been violated. And so that's really what this is about. And I would guess, as a matter of principle, it will probably be resolved without actually going to court.
2: Uh, Chris, great comment in the chat room from uh, Dr. Vida who says, I mean, it's not like the TV director cares about the midfield, especially Williams. So, I mean, they didn't lose a lot of like TV airtime, did they?
3: Uh, no, but it, it's more a matter of uh, principle because the opportunity is there when you're on track. It's not there when you're off track. Um, ironically, there was a shot of him being pushed into the garage. But other than that... Um, and of course has only just got his uh, specially adapted steering wheel uh, that they were supposed to have from the first uh, Grand Prix but then they realized the car was an absolute dog and decided to put their attention uh, elsewhere. Well I mean if you remember when it was when they had it
2: the testing at first with Williams there was actually a cutout panel uh, on the right side wasn't there that allowed his hand to come in at a different angle and meant he could have his arm you know you know come through and that looked really worrying that they were having to cut bits out of the chassis But if he has not been racing with a specially adapted steering wheel that he was thinking he was going to have, and if he is someone with basically one arm who needs a special steering wheel and he didn't get it, uh, there's going to be a lot of people going, ah, told you, told you he's not getting the support he needs.
3: Yeah, yes and no. Um, It's not a huge difference. There are a couple of buttons that would normally be on the right hand side that are now on the left hand side. And there's an extra paddle on the left-hand side. So the fact that he's been, what, half-second off George Russell at some races, uh, that suddenly isn't going to go away because these knobs and dials are
1: on the left-hand side now. Matt? Uh, I I am actually surprised to hear that they had not gotten that to him. I, I thought that was would have been sort of like, usually as a race engineer, make the driver comfortable in the car yields the most lap time. If he's been having to use those... Uh, with his alternate hand, um, I, I'm now very interested to see if anything else changes. We're, so, like, yeah, hype train one more time, baby, one just, more what, time, you what, one more hype train before he goes to be a development driver for Haas. But look, Maybe,
3: allegedly.
2: Oh, really? I was going to ask about his future. Is that is that is that where they think he might be heading? And is that with a look to an F1 drive?
3: I don't think it'll be with a look to an F1 drive purely as a as a test role. This is just a kind of rumor at the moment. I think the strongest possibility. Um, according to Autosport, at least, is that he's going to be in DTM next season, German touring cars.
2: Okay, so if it's getting towards the end of the season, especially now with this, if you say there was an adaptation that was meant to be coming his way that he's not got, I I think you know how close he's got to a genuinely top F2 guy is absolutely remarkable. If it's becoming increasingly clear that this is him gone from F1 for good, I I really hope that lad gets a guard of honour from his fellow drivers, at some point coming onto the grid or going towards a national anthem, nothing but respect for the guy. And uh, and and I don't think it's the best team to come into at the moment. I was going to ask Joe this because we're speaking to Joe Seward on Tuesday, and he's got some internet back in the south of France. I'll ask you guys first: How how long before this defence of Claire is great? It's just unlucky, Claire Williams. Or there's all these other factors. How long is it until we can just legitimately say Claire Williams really isn't doing well as the Williams team boss? She's had loads of time to do it now and she's completely failed. Yeah?
1: Um, have you ever heard of the Glass Cliff? No. Ah, the Glass Cliff is where you hand to an aspiring uh female CEO an unwinnable proposition and you watch her to go directly over it and get destroyed. So this is a glass cliff. And I'm not saying this is absolutely the case, but what I do know of Williams and its backroom politics is that she was not in line to inherit running the team. I believe one of her brothers was, and he actually ran a successful uh, Formula 2, Formula 3 team, some kind of feeder series team. And then something happened that uh, I probably forgot because I'm old. And suddenly Claire was thrust into this role without having this sort of training you might normally expect one to have
3: yeah of the the two williams uh brothers one of them doesn't really have an interest in motorsport and uh the other one they that not re- supposedly didn't really want him running the team and so he's in charge of uh, advanced uh no not advanced engineering but uh, the heritage uh site
2: okay so just for my two cents. Matt, I'm not, I'm not denying that phenomenon exists. We li- live in a terrible world full of terrible people. I'm, I'm sure that exists. I am struggling to believe that there was some conspiracy where they went, well, this team's a bag of rats. Let's hand it to Jeff Williams. No, no, we cannot tarnish Jeff's reputation. Throw the girl under the bus. So I'm not quite buying that that's how it happened.
1: No, I don't think that's how it happened, but I think the originally planned succession failed for some reason that honestly i really can't remember um and she was like oh look you're convenient and you have the correct last name here go do this job how hard could it be okay that so yeah. kind of like carter really in a way
2: but- okay okay i get what you're saying matt you're saying it, it was a bit of a hospital pass of a job and and i get that like in football where you know someone passes the ball to you when you're horrendously marked and there are people charging in and you go oh Thanks a bunch. Cheers for that. And the next thing you know, you've had your ankles swiped away from you and somebody's come into the top half as well and, and knocked you all the way down. It could be a hospital pass. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to hear both sides. And uh and I'll be interested to see what Joe has to say. Uh Sarah.
4: So kind of following up on that, one of the sort of dynamics is this kind of family dynamic that the team's got going that a Dynasty. lot of the, the other teams just yeah. don't have. And family businesses are tricky. And... Although she's, she is the bot. She's kind of the boss now. She is accountable for everything's going on. It's also who was either in place as she transitioned in and who she's got around her at the moment. So I don't know enough about that situation, but that's kind of what I'd be looking at. Um, she is accountable. So she's got to make the hard decisions one way or another. She either got to decide she's not the right person anymore or she's, um, or she's got to find the right people sooner
3: it's interesting you bring that up because i was thinking about this last week about how there aren't uh, teams in f1 that are just teams anymore they're either a car brand or a drinks company or some other you know brand that wants to be promoted you've really only got haas and williams that are the only kind of just regular team like oh i'm i i'm making a team we've done all this other stuff and i want to do formula one and i think
1: that's quite sad, really. Well, I don't even think you can lump Haas in there. I mean, yeah, Gene is the single owner, but it is a business. It's CNC machining and his main aim was to get more of his machines uh, worldwide. Uh, They do well in America. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash
0: ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side?
2: chris i know you're excited because i've been reading the internets and guess what we're getting a brand new team in f1 finally how long we've waited
3: for a brand new team in f1 but are we dun 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 yes adrian campos is looking to get back into F1 with the backing from Monaco Increase Management. But first, a little history lesson uh, for you. Back in 2010, uh, three new teams entered Formula One under the promise of a budget cap, which never materialized. There was Virgin Racing, who after two name changes, uh, folded with one point score to their name. Lotus, who became Caterham and amounted to nothing. And HRT, who amounted to even less, uh, probably the worst of the three, and in the first two races of 2012, didn't make the 107% uh, rule. And they were run by Campos, a name you may be familiar with in Formula 2 and Formula 3. And uh, his co-owner, a name, uh, Salvatore Gandolfo, hope I pronounced that, uh, rightly, uh just so happened to have founded Monaco Increase Management who is looking to back uh, this entry. And there's a lot of you know, senior XF1 stuff that they've already named um, in there. And this management company just so happens to have Pascal Verline on their, uh, on their roster, who currently drives for Mahindra in FE, which is run by, you guessed it, Campos. And Alex Palou, a Spanish driver, with this Spanish team who currently races in Super Formula. There is a lovely flow to this whole story until Formula One came out and said, nope, not going to happen. Wow. They, they didn't say, no,
2: it's not going to happen. It was worse than that. It was worse than that. They, they, they wrote a a press release that said, um, uh, whilst we are, Always interested or flattered to know that teams are wanting to join Formula One. We have had no serious talks with any team about an entry. It was something along those lines. It was like a, oh, bless you, but no.
3: Contrary to what Adrian Campos has been saying, who claims to have had serious conversations with Ross Braun at the Spanish and British Grand Prix. Uh, I'm, I may have been wrong on that second one, but uh, definitely at the Spanish Grand Prix. And of course, there's this second team as well, um, Pantera Team Asia, um, which um, it's kind of similar. They're currently operating out of Silverstone. They claim to have got a kind of a senior management team and aerodynamic assists and and stuff like that. But um, other than that, that, that was on race fans um, that one. But uh, there's a, there's a little bit less known about that one, unfortunately.
1: It's easy to put people's names on things, especially preliminarily. Oh, yeah. Uh, The FIA has to approve the entrance. It's not Formula One, as I recall. Uh, But the big thing really is um, you have to have the cash up front to make a serious effort. And the issue this brings up for me and why 21 might be interesting is currently the payout is limited to the top 10 teams. If you add Team 11, you add Team 12 somebody's going home without any money right now and a team of that size not getting a regular payout from the sport is rapidly going to fall off the back and we're just going to have Caterham and all those others all over again
2: Uh, so you know when when we come to like the general levels of competition in f1 the more hurdles we put in for new teams to come in the the less genuine competition you're going to get if you had 10 genuinely competitive teams knocking on the door of Formula 1 and you let three of them in and the other seven had to go and do a, a Formula B series and there was promotion and relegation like there is in football, you, you'd see the standard shoot right up. You'd see the, the bottom teams really fighting and scrapping instead of knowing that they can give up halfway through a season and start developing next year's car. Chris, we, we have, and this is no no detriment, to the teams we've currently got in F1, we don't have the level of competition we could have because the teams at the bottom know they're going to get some prize money. Nothing can really bad happen to them by by getting worse. Like Williams, they don't have to do anything towards the end of the season. Their season's completely gone, you know, for example. And there's not a great deal that the 8th and ninth place are going to get from scrapping. And whilst we've got this uh, massive golf between the top teams and the bottom teams in finances again you're not getting genuine competition because you've not got the midfield teams lighting a fire up the butt of the top 3 teams and we've just got this perpetual cycle of of not as much competitiveness as we could have because what we've essentially got is a franchise series you know formula 1 is much more like the NFL than it is the football english football league
3: yeah the the thing i do think about this one though is that there are much richer teams outside of formula one that aren't looking into this and i do wonder if an art grand prix or a premer won't enter formula one how is a team like campos going to do it you know, it's not like they're regular front runners in formula two for example now the the situation you had you know before back in sort of 2010 11 and 12 with those three back teams. Uh, and this was before Haas came in, of course, that there was one of those teams that would get that 10th place, that last spot yeah, in yeah. the Constructors' Championship that pays out. It was actually solid, good competition.
2: Yeah, it was something to fight for. But what I'm wondering now is do, with Liberty Media, you know, obviously an American firm, they're much more used to proper franchise sport. It, it could just be the case now that they just they don't want a new back, they don't want an HRT. Uh, uh, virgin uh, marussia they don't want three teams like that suddenly pitching in matt and and spoiling the model they've got at the moment
1: i i would think that is absolutely a big part of it i mean consider the budget cap is uh what about 175 starting out as a practice budget cap uh but that's operational budget so that's mm. operational budget plus personnel so outside of that operational budget you can spend as much as you want if you really want to be competitive You're going to have to spend over a 100 mil, I'd say, to even be in the ballgame. And they also probably don't want to see Williams go out, if I'm being honest as well. First, they need to make enough money to get the teams competitive on the operational budget through the payouts they currently have. Then they will think about expanding.
4: I kind of disagree. I think... Whilst there might not be the right candidates available now, part of their long-term plan is growing the Asian markets, growing audiences in different areas. And I think they're going to be kind of, oh, I can't remember the term, but they're, they're going to be putting the feelers out there to see if they can get teams developed that might increase the fan bases in very different markets than we've already had. I mean, there's a reason they want Hass there, to keep Has there as an American uh, company. And as, as that brand, they want Williams because they, they've also got that heritage. So I don't think anyone really wants to see Williams in the place where they are now. But whilst I'm not saying that Campos is the right one, I think we'll see more and more of these, um, groups of people trying to build momentum to get a new team in. And I think it is part of Liberty's longer, longer term plan.
3: I I think if a new team is going to come in, so, you know, post 2021 is the time to do it, you know, with the budget cap and everything. uh, Formula One might be in a better position to accept new teams, certainly more than it was back in 2009. But I can't, I still can't see them being anything more than just making up the numbers, especially if they're going to continue with this route of only paying out the top 10. Pantera might have a better way of doing it because apparently they were going to come in with a sort of Haas-like model where you outsource as many of the parts as possible. Okay, let's just go around
2: the panel then. Uh, Blue Sky thinking, we're in charge of F1. How many teams do we actually want? I want a kajillion teams. I want teams in there that have got like you know, like if we're just there on a hope and a prayer, make the budget cap 20 million, have pre-qualifying, have the, the teams that can't qualify for the main race, have uh, uh, the warm up race during the weekend. Yeah, that kind of thing. Like I'm I'm all in. I want tons of competition. I want I want there to be like a real kind of, you know, uh, what's the American thing? The American dream, you know, the, the garbage man can become the billionaire man. That's what I want. I want real dreams coming through in F1. I want the driver with no sponsorship manages to win some karting tournament uh, and, and somehow finds himself as the reserve driver of the 30th best team in F1, finds himself a lap down and goes wheel to wheel with Lewis Hamilton and everyone goes, who's that guy? We didn't even look at his name on the ticket. Am I just a
1: crazy dreamer, Matt? That's all I want. And then he crashes him in the corner in Brazil and Lewis gets out and shoves him, right? Yeah, something like that in his face. Who
2: do you think you are? I'm the champ. You're just a guy who lucked out in a carting competition. Oh, man, I'm going to write this film. No one else write this film. Dibs. uh, Sarah, how many teams would you... Would you like the franchise, the smaller grids, or would you you want it bigger?
4: I I I want at least two more teams. I feel like 12, where we're 10 right now, right? We need at least 12.
2: Yeah, the grids are a little small. And if you have... Some big incidents. Suddenly it can look kind of eerie out there. It's like, you know, it's like the nineties where seven cars finished some races. Good. Uh, any, anything else on this story? I think we're done with that. Why don't we move on to the cheerier subject of F1 divorces? So, um, Matt, I think you're, you're the only other family man on the panel. Max Verstappen said the new calendar is going to cause more divorces in Formula One. But I guess the broader question is, is this, uh, how many races have we got next season? 22. Is that a bit much? I mean, I was looking back at a season uh, sometime in the nineties when that, where there was 16 Grand Prix. It was, uh, I was looking at some, some race with Schumacher in it. And, um, I think he was at Benetton and there was a 16 race season. And you go, whoa, actually that's a, that's a big old difference. 22 races is just about every other weekend.
1: Yeah, you're headed towards the it's almost half of the year and there are complaints always from the teams about the need to have extra operations staff. This would be one of the reasons why they weren't considered in the um considered in the budget limited portion. I think you have lots of ancillary staff and they will have EU or uh, EU work requirements uh, about how much vacation time, et cetera, and so on. And once you get to 22, 23, 24, 25 races, you're, you're kind of at a point, kind of like a metropolitan opera where they have two entire orchestras to be able to cover both the rehearsals and the performances they need to put on. So a lot of formula ones, recent cost cutting
3: initiatives have loopholes to say the least, but the thing that costs the most money when you go racing is getting everything on location putting up your staff for a week at the race. Like, so before you used to go racing for f- for four days, you used to turn up on a Thursday, work tirelessly through the night and uh, go home on, on Sunday evening. But now there are curfews. So now they just get there even earlier like, and you spend a whole week on location. So now you're spending even more money. And I don't understand in an era where we're desperately trying to cut cuss for the midfield teams. Cock why us. are we going to more
1: races it's why formula 2 and formula 3 don't do the flyaway races for example why are we going to more races more revenue for the sport i mean yeah two plus two does equal four in this instance
2: but surely that filters down to the team as well i mean okay so first point if you're a formula one driver don't, don't get married while you're a formula one driver that's like that's crazy that's insane i wouldn't have even
3: considered it till i'd hung up my racing gloves chris Yeah, we've all seen that bit in Rush when Lauda gets married and suddenly he has something to lose in that super dramatic scene, where he's staring out the window in the rain. Yeah, you're doing it wrong. If you're an F1 driver and you get married while you're still an F1
2: driver, you're doing it. You're doing it wrong, lad. Uh, Anyway, when the the British team started playing in Europe again, and it was Champions League, and and uh, loads of other, uh, you know, loads of fixtures, then the UEFA League started having league fixtures. The teams just had to do squad rotation. They were getting more revenue. Therefore, they could afford more players, more staff. Matt, isn't it, isn't it just as simple as that? You will just hire more mechanics. This is great for the sport. 22 races means that not every mechanic or engineer or support crew can do all those races. So you need more guys and you rotate through them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good for the sport because more people will be able to be trained at that level. And the idea behind it is that ultimately the cost of the team, the longer you're out, say you have an extra race in Asia, well, it costs less to keep the team there one more week than it does to fly back and fly there again. So if they put their calendar together correctly, the team will should actually get more money because the, what they get is based on the total take of the sport to begin with. So every new promoter fee, which we will point out is a lot of money for Formula One, does get distributed downward to the team and the idea is if they make enough extra revenue it more than covers the extra costs the teams need to put forward i really struggled to see how two additional races is going to
3: fund for rotation staff for every team Well, they're already stretched, Sarah.
2: So isn't it not the case of, you know, this has already gone too far. So an extra two races means, okay, well, 20, that wasn't enough. But really, we needed to start squad rotating once it went over 17. So now 22. Yeah, we definitely need a B crew or half a B crew.
4: Yeah, I think it will, they might find some savings in terms of the fact they'll have to crew up more Um, in terms of having maybe, uh, again, rotoring is massively complex in that kind of situation. I think one thing I would say as an audience member, you might see some benefit is whenever we've had that extra element of chaos in that can create some good racing. So this is one yeah. additional challenge mounted yeah. on all the other logistical challenges they've got. That might be a that might be a benefit for us in terms of the sport. Uh,
2: Chris, I don't mean to be unsympathetic at all because we know people in F1 who've got families and we know the yeah. sacrifices they make. I, I had a career in my early 20s where I was away literally all the time. And when I knew that my mind was turning towards being a family man and wanting to settle down, I I knew that I was going to have to change that lifestyle. So is there not just an element that a lifestyle that takes you around the world isn't inherently conducive to the family life anyway? And that's just something you have to factor in with your career choices. I mean, there are factory based jobs, which um there was a high profile uh, one of uh, the sport aerodynamicists, wasn't there? that just was fed up of travelling and just went back to a factory role. So isn't that just a natural part of this kind of endeavour?
3: No, because this wasn't this kind of a problem not even 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago. Um, If if I could just speak as a a fan of Formula One for for a couple of minutes. Uh, If you
2: tell us which driver you're a fan of the most, which driver is your (laughs) favourite?
3: <laughs> Fine. Uh, Speaking as Luke the Coles. only
2: completely no. neutral Formula One fan, go on, continue your lies.
3: Uh, no, the, the, a- acknowledging, you know, the, the extra money that they get for, for going to these races, and that's all well and good. But as a fan of motorsport, I feel this is diluting the calendar. And I've said many times on this show, I would so happily get rid of five of of some of the of these races you know maybe even more to have a proper quality calendar not okay. just one that on, makes then. up
2: numbers come on then let's do it which ones are you gonna get rid of i know you hate abu dhabi so you're gonna get rid of abu dhabi so yeah.
3: uh abu dhabi yeah. um i hate to say it but mexico just yeah. isn't. yeah it delivering. doesn't
2: land yeah true um sochi yeah definitely that's going anyway france oh i don't agree Oh, well, I don't agree. No, are you serious? Yeah, I don't agree. Uh, Paul Ricard represents the future of Grand Prix racing. Not that p- track, maybe in particular, but the fact that they try to do something different with the runoffs to have kind of a natural penalty. I don't think it's effective enough. But you've got the different grip levels as you go off track. I, I, I think that would be the track where they would experiment with an electronic off-track solution as well.
3: So, so to be fair, that that's been around since the nineties. They didn't just bring that in just for Formula One. What? No, I'm just, said. I'm okay. just saying. Okay. Okay. Fine. I'll get rid of Paul Ricard, not France. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. We should clarify. Hello to our French listeners. By the way, we're the number twelve podcast in Greece, so you can, you guys can all happily say now we are we're massive in Greece. Lovely, right. and Uruguay apparently as well. Sorry. Which tracks are we getting rid of? Monaco, obviously.
3: No, <laughs> yes. no, never.
2: Yes. Thank you, Sarah. I, kn- I knew we had you on for a reason. Uh, and, and tell you what, and I've got, no, this is definitely a massive aside. Sorry about this. Uh, but I've got a really bad feeling as well that Vietnam, looking looking at that street circuit layout and looking at the virtual onboard, I've got a really bad feeling that's just going to be another Singapore.
3: No, no, I, I won't judge. Because, and do you know why? Because when I first looked at the track map of Baku, I said that is probably one of the worst tracks I've ever seen, and it's actually one of the F- best on I the mean, calendar. There's one,
2: right th- well, there's one good corner, isn't there? At the end of a long a one straight good corner. that causes safety cars, and that's it. You take away that corner and actually it's a very dull
3: track. No, it's a brilliant track. It, it is exactly oh, what modern street racing should be quick vote Baku there's only you can't, there's no don't give me your
2: nuance and you as well chat room it's either amazing and brilliant or a, a yet another terrible street circuit Sarah love it Ugh, Matt
1: i of all the street races it produces the um, most chaos so all right I would well for it.
2: that is a low bar to be fair of all the fundamentally flawed street races which shouldn't be in f1 okay I suppose Baku is the least bad of all of them and let's just pretend that the chat room all agrees with me actually it's pretty split it's pretty split okay so we're talking about the f1 calendar in general there chris uh yeah divorce rate maybe too much for the families i as a tv fan sarah do do we want it on every other weekend i i kind of do but as like a mega fan and obviously because we do this it, it does add extra strain to to the fandom doesn't it
4: Plus, it makes the uh, karting that much more complex to try and get in place oh, as well. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, yeah, but uh, I mean, I said I wanted the chaos that was caused by the extra logistical challenges, but I agree. There's times it's like, I just want to go on holiday. <laughs> yes. I just want to do other things because it's not just, it's not just watching the race. It's then also listening to Miss Apex in the evening because the race reviews are always so much fun in the chat room afterwards. Yes,
2: this. the race reviews are, yeah. I mean, that's the yeah best part of my week when there's a race review, Matt.
1: True story. Uh, We booked uh, two college tours locally to our area this weekend. And when my wife approached me, she said, can we do this weekend? I've looked at the F1 calendar and there are no races. Literally the first words out of her mouth. So yeah, at a certain point, it it does become problematic if there's a race every weekend. I almost look
3: for opportunities in my life now where there's no motorsport because... It's all just a little bit too much now, and this is not just me talking as somebody who does work in motorsport because I wouldn't be doing this job if I didn't absolutely uh, love it. But you do cherish those moments where you're not thinking about motorsport, even if it's not work related. You know, I'm not. I'm not thinking about Formula One, for example. I'm just thinking about oh, what that, that new TV series that was on that was really good.
4: Maybe a little bit political, but just kind of one thing to add as well, as a sport that is actively trying to increase the diversity uh in all the teams, um this calendar makes it that much more difficult for women to be able to, because they're generally proportionally more likely to have to deal with family stuff to a bigger extent than men, still fairly leaning that way. I'm not saying that's the same for everybody, but it's going to make that even more challenging for the sport as a whole as well.
2: Awesome. Well, Matt, that is bringing us to the end of our news. You did want to talk some finance stuff. Should we put that on hold and look forward to the Japanese Grand Prix? Let's do that. What? Let's talk tactics. Let's kick off with tyres. You've been very restrained, Matt, and you've not talked about tyres for the whole episode so far. Uh, how's it looking in Japan? Actually, first of all, I absolutely love that I no longer have to figure out, ah, okay, it's the the hard, the medium, the ultra soft, which is the third softest, except on the following fourth Tuesday, uh, unless that is an Easter weekend, in which case that is the third soft tyre. I'm delighted. Hard, medium, soft. I don't have to think any further than that, but I have you. So if I choose to listen, you can tell me whether it's C1, C2, etc., cetera, and, and actually tell me if I care. If I don't care, I can just go white, yellow, red. It's a brilliant decision.
1: Yeah, it is. And in this case, since you asked, it is one, two, three, the hardest set of compounds that they can be running that we will see at Suzuka.
2: So super conservative is it because Suzuka is a high wear track?
1: I would believe so. There's a lot of stress that goes through the tires, particularly with the long radius high speed uh, 130R. You do not That's a place you don't want your tires giving out, kind of like Vettel's did in Spa a couple of years ago.
2: Okay, so we don't want the tires giving out. We do want them to wear. We have enough one-stop races. It would be nice to have some two, maybe three-stop races, just for a bit of strategy, just to see car, you know, teams really having to figure stuff out and to maybe even use, you know, use three tire compounds throughout the race. That would be nice, Chris. But they always seem to go for the most conservative option at the moment. It's definitely deliberate. They're going for a one stopper. The, the 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 predictions at the beginning of every race is one stop is fastest.
3: Yeah, I still feel like it's going to be a one-stopper, uh, even though Suzuka is one of the hardest you know, on on tires because it's got so many high-speed corners, long periods of time where those tires are under stress. You've got that long turns one and two, and then the high-speed S's where it's just constant, constant stress, and Spoon Curve, another really long uh, corner. So there is a lot of stress, but I feel like we're still going to be heading towards a one stop. Even if the tires war a little bit, we'll probably end up with a, a Singapore scenario where they back off because it's, it's, tough to, it's tough to pass. But this is one of the tracks where we, we have seen some pretty good wheel-to-wheel racing in, in recent years.
1: Right. So the reason we always wind up with one-stops is because the rest of the field isn't fast enough to make them switch to two stops, to make them run the cars fast enough. Although that might be a little bit different with Honda having put a brand new ice into both of their cars. Uh, But what I'm seeing in the chat room right now is that we are getting either heavy rain or possibly a typhoon this weekend. And that is going to change everything up immensely. Well, well, if it happens,
2: yeah, if it happens, it happens. The, The strange thing about modern formula one is they will start the races under the safety car and they tend to not then bring that safety car in. If they do that, until it's just about intermediate weather, they they really don't like running with the wets. So you know, so stand by for for a longer race, obviously, uh, and of course there is some history in the Japanese Grand Prix in the wet, recent history which we can't ignore. So they're going to be more cautious, and I'm definitely, definitely not going to begrudge them that. But if we if we do have a race, assuming we do have a race, uh, we do, like you said, have to look to the Hondas and and this apex podcast understands that uh, Red Bull is super bullish and super optimistic about this fourth iteration of the Honda power unit. So there's two factors here. A, they think the upgrade that they brought in in Russia, that they took the penalties for, is working well and is reliable. And because they're not championship contenders, they are fully willing to to run quali mode in the race, hard and fast, and as often as they can get away with, obviously still having to manage uh, fuel conservation. But it looks like, Chris, they're going to have a big kind of push-to-pass button that they can use a lot during that race. So it will be really exciting to see, Like even if they've got the kind of tactic where we don't care if three blow up, we want one of those cars over the line for a podium
3: and of course uh, you know disregarding the the rest of the races for the season yeah you know, it's likely that they'll take another set of engine penalties if they push the engines uh, this hard and it makes sense for honda it's their home race i if i remember rightly they're the title sponsor of the event as well how amazing would it be for them to win on a home turf and you know if we're looking at the form book perhaps red bull are going to be quite good here a lot of high-speed corners uh, but you know that's where both mercedes and ferrari have been pretty equally matched uh, this season so i don't think we can discount them it's, matt uh, uh, red bull have got another big advantage
2: which is the mercedes are going to jump out their way as they're f- racing the ferrari's they're not going to be going like, "Oh, we must hold Verstappen behind us at all costs if there's an if there's a tactical option where they have to risk losing more spots with Verstappen, but they can keep ahead of Leclerc, they're going to take that one, aren't they?" So them not being in the title fight may be yet another reason you know to chuck a couple of quid on Red Bull,
1: yeah, and again, if the race is wet, uh, we have seen the Red Bull look particularly do particularly well in the wet what's interesting to me about this is going to be how ferrari does because we're going to finally see them on a track that shouldn't suit the natural characteristics of their car as well but we have learned hmm. uh those of us who read automotor und sport one of my favorite publications for everyone motor. drink go on matt said yeah. it he said there it he said the thing you go. i did i said the word uh, with the proper pronunciation, unlike Verstappen, which does not have the sht in it, just by the way, in case you were wondering. Uh, what's interesting is uh, they made note of the fact that with Ferrari's last upgrade for Singapore, they have been able to properly switch the tires on, and this has been one of the reasons yeah. why we've seen the improved corner performance versus Mercedes. And at the same time, those of you who follow Summers and read his stuff, will be aware of the fact that the spec three power unit for Mercedes isn't really quite able to be run at full chat in the way that they would like during the races. And this is also perhaps accounted for some of the differential we've seen between the two. So we could be looking at a really interesting race between Ferrari and Mercedes. And I think you're absolutely right. If, If they get into it, uh, Verstappen could just be let go by the pair of them because they're interested in other things.
3: And you do need a good engine here. There are three high speed stretches, not least coming out of Spoon through 130R and into the chicane. It's all flat out You know, between there and then. So you do have to have the power to go with it. And it must be said that across the season, Ferrari's smallest deficit to Mercedes has been in the high speed corners.
2: Oh, well, there you go. High praise in the, in the Slack group from Matt G. Why haven't we heard more from Sarah before? She's debatably the best spoken panellist on the, uh, on the show today. So there you go. You've got at least one fan there, Sarah. You'll have to make sure you come on more.
4: That's good to know. Um, I think that's better. <laughs> I don't know if it's better or worse praise than someone in the chat room earlier who was saying I sounded exactly like Claire Williams. So,
2: I mean she's we'll dead. See. I
4: don't know if that's an accent she's thing. She's dead or, posh
2: or, though, or... isn't she? So that's gotta be that's a good thing, surely. Uh you are also a mega nerd. Uh your Twitter handle gives that away, doesn't it? Yep,
4: yeah, at decoding dragons. It's the same on Instagram as well. Uh over the next few weeks I'll be releasing some of the photos from karting though, yeah. uh, because I've been very, very slow in editing that. That's
2: them. okay. Uh, and the next event, by the way, is April twenty-fifth. 2020 that is the it's been hard penciled in with buckmore park we're going back to buckmore park as well i think april's uh actually statistically i think it's like the least rainfall or or the least predicted rainfall next year that surprised me so maybe i've got it wrong march has a lot apparently and uh and so does may but april seems to be quite safe march is too cold and um uh May is too far away because I I really want to go again soon. Uh, So get in contact, spannersready at gmail.com. You can follow me, spannersready, at spannersready on Twitter. Uh, You can support us on Patreon as well. We've had some great support from you guys lately, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. It's looking really positive by the amount of Patreon support you've got. We try to make being a patron a good experience. You can come and join us in a private Slack forum where me and Matt hang out often. uh, And that's where we hang out uh, during the races as well so that's where we kind of hang out and chat in the races and we do a patron only podcast as well where we kind of kick back uh, and we we relax a little bit we talk a little bit about our our lives and sometimes occasionally f1 matt but it is tangent city
1: yeah and and, but that's what it should be i mean i feel like it's (laughs) it's a uh, get to know
0: let the patrons get to know
1: us a little bit
2: and if they want to get to know you they can follow you on twitter at matt pt 55 but i know that your your career as a trumpet player you're not putting much hope in that all your eggs are in your wife's basket uh, on twitter your wife is at a weaver rights and she writes uh what should we say it's erotic novels with a story and some passion
1: yeah i mean uh, they fall under the category of romance but they're really i mean i think for people who've read them they are not on the how do we say this more explicit side they're more on the story i really if i'm being honest what she's genius at is uh dialogue and 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 uh, just the basic storytelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you get when you're out and you meet that person. And then all the obstacles that inevitably get in the way.
2: Ignore all that. They're mucky books. Buy them for your partner and yourselves to read together. Uh, Chris is at Chris on Racing, does PR stuff. We bring Chris on because he has his finger on the pulse of motorsport journalism. Uh, It's not me that puts the, the F1 News stories together for us to chat about it's matt and chris for sure uh yeah support us patreon.com forward slash missed apex book carting spanners ready at gmail.com uh, the last point i wanted to make on the japanese grand prix uh, though is it is important to note with us talking about ferrari uh, and, and this not being a track traditionally suited to them so will they carry on this rich vein of form the rich vein of form has been in qualifying and then, then they have been <laughs> until the Russian Grand Prix tactically sound in the, in the previous races in Singapore. They did well in, in Monza. They defended well uh, and in Spa as well. So that has disguised the fact that I'm fairly confident that Mercedes is still the fastest race car. And the, the, I, you know, if, if Ferrari are going to give up some of that by having better aero, there might be a knock-on effect in qualifying, there might be a knock-on effect in straight-line speed. I would just urge people, I know Matt and we have this argument all the time, I would urge people to not think that there is somehow some kind of Ferrari revolution where they suddenly became the fastest F1 car for three races. The, they They made the most of what they had and did well. In fact, this is a compliment to Ferrari. I think they punched above their weight for three and four races for most of sochi as well they've been punching above their weight of late
1: they have the singapore updates have worked for them and what we're seeing now is a true reflection of the potential their chassis had at the beginning of the season they obviously had some issues with reliability they obviously had some design issues that they had to solve but they have solved them now and so what we're getting is the optimum product and what's made it I guess a good timing for them is it on Mercedes' side. They've now had some minor reliability issues that have hampered them slightly, and so yeah, it's never. You always talk about downforce, not downforce. It's it's binary. It's my compromise has been chosen with X or Y or Z, or should I say Z, in mind for those of you who are not American. Um, and so we're getting to see a really fascinating interplay now between these two different design philosophies. And we're going to get to see it hopefully, if it's not too wet at Suzuka, uh, happen yet again.
2: Okay. So I'm going out on a limb here. I, I'm going for a, oh, here we go. If reliability holds up, I'm going for a crazy Red Bull one two, not one two, sorry, podium, double podium is what I meant to say. Can we, can we edit that? Can we, can we get that in post? I'm going for a Red Bull double podium with Albin taking a race win
3: and silencing his critics. That's what I'm going for. Chris? I think if it rains, <laughs> I'll go for a Red Bull win. If it's dry, my money's still on Mercedes. Sarah Nichol.
4: I think I'm going to go the other. I think, I think it's going to be a Mercedes win dry or wet. Hamilton's... Hamilton's... Verstappen's shown that he is a master in the wet. Hamilton has as well. I think I think they'll make the most of it.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Matt, who, what's your prediction for the Japanese Grand Prix?
1: Well, are we, it sounds like we're doing wet-dry predictions. I think wet, it's going to be Verstappen. And that's because it just reduces the advantage of the Mercedes engine. And I think the car is more nimble, the, the Red Bull, than the Mercedes. And I think that will hand him the advantage. Plus... Lewis is trying to win the uh, world championship, so he's not going to take the same kind of chances that Max might. I'm not seeing Albon in the wet, so I can't comment. In the dry, I'm just going to go in the dry. I'm going to go with Ferrari, and I'm going to go with Vettel, and I'll tell you why, because I think he's still better managing tires over a race distance than Leclerc, and I think that Ferrari have sorted the car enough and they have a big enough advantage in the high-speed sections that they will be able to start ahead of the Mercedes again. And if that happens, it's going to be difficult for Mercedes to overcome with the way they've set their car up.
2: Some great chatroom comments. Lucas, are there any bets on which corner Vettel is going to spin? Uh, Othnell says, Verstappen, master in the, in the wet? You've got to be kidding me. I, I mean, he's... I mean, the record looks good, doesn't it? The record's looking good, so maybe too early to say he's a, uh, a a rainmeister. But but let's see. Clappers. My prediction is that all team orders at Ferrari will be ignored this weekend. And Antoine Patton says Ferrari is my team, so Charles will get pole. Red Bull will be on stage along with Charles and. Lewis, so he's going for a, a, a three team podium there. Uh, Chris, that is going to be interesting, isn't it? That you just imagine some Ferrari strategist is going, uh, Seb, can you do this? Seb? <sighs> okay. Charles, sorry. Seb's not listening. Charles, can you do that? Charles? Are, are you there? Uh, do you know what? Headphones thrown on the floor. I give up.
3: I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, how that relationship uh, pans out in, at Suzuka. But uh, I, a point in the chat room just r- reminded me that I think up until Abu Dhabi, Albon doesn't have any prior experience of any of the circuits left uh-huh. until the last race in Abu Dhabi, because F2 certainly doesn't uh, race there. Maybe you got a couple of them in. In F3, maybe, but um, he he's on the back foot in terms of experience at the very least. To be fair, it's a bonkers
2: prediction to say that Albon's going to suddenly turn it around and, and win the Japanese Grand Prix. It's more that I'm I'm wanting him to show the potential that he's got. I'm hoping that he's going to show the potential he's got. We will be live streaming at 8pm, I think, Chris. Even though it's an early race, I don't think we're gonna we're not going to crack out an early race review. We'll just stick to 8pm GMT.
3: No, you still want your day. I unfortunately won't be there because I will be in the Eiffel region of Germany at the Nürburgring with Brad.
2: Watching Brad competing in the VLN, which will be, which will be a lot of fun yes. uh, as well. Okay, so join us there, 8pm UK time. It's going to be me, Matt. Um, we've got Nick on, Matt, which isn't good news for Ferrari at all, is it? I think he is cursed.
1: Ooh, I forgot about that. I yeah. might have to change my yeah, change prediction
2: now. Uh, and also, we're going to be joined on the panel by Uncle Steve. G'day, Steve, uh, who is our video editor. He's going to be joining us all the way from Upside Down Australia. So that should be a fun race review. I'll be speaking to Joe Sayward at 2 p.m. Uh, no, that's CET. So 1 p.m. UK time on Tuesday. We're going to be doing a live stream with Joe Saywood And we're going to, I think, try and get Matthew Carter in the tuesday after the japanese grand prix so a really packed schedule coming up for missed apex podcast wherever you catch us next be brave because wounds heal chicks dig scars but glory lasts forever this was missed apex oh darny darn darn Don. okay no one's even reminded me but i've just remembered what i've forgotten yeah, I know. OK, comment of the week is coming. I had one last prediction, though, I, I want to get in, even if it's just the live stream that hears it. My last prediction is you are going to see between now and the end of the season, a quiet, unspoken and subtle walking back of the just let them race the the black and white flag. I don't think we're going to see the black and white flag for a racing incident again. I think they're slowly but surely going to start getting tougher on the enforcement of the rules, and hope that it happens so gradually that no one notices. And I think it's already started.
3: We literally saw it in Sochi. <laughs> yeah, John. I'm gonna I'm gonna write down every single time they use it now, just to annoy you. Do it, man. No, do it. But, but I think we're
2: going to walk you back. And I think by the time we get to the start of 2020 in Australia, but someone will mention the black and white flag and they'll go, what, huh? Wait, oh, my wife's phoning me. I'll come right back to you. And I, I think it's going to get quietly forgotten about instead of going, that was an anomaly in Monza. Hey, Matt, um, around this time of the show, you know, several minutes after the end of it, we normally do Comment of the Week. Comment of the Week. Oh my, Michael Dustelhoff is banned from winning it this week because he just went, ha, ha 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 ha, spanners forgot comment of the week again. This is a pre-typed and copied and pasted message.
1: Git. Five times in <laughs> a row.
2: That was actually my pick to win. <laughs> oh no, completely banned because I spotted that. Uh, is it my imagination? It was a very busy and polite and well-behaved chat room today. It's a dream chat room.
1: It was, it was an excellent chat room and they were fully engaged the whole time. Lots of comments flying by really, really fun. The chat room adds so much to the experience. Um, and I, I just wish people listening on audio, I, I hope they get the chance to drop in sometime and watch the show being recorded and see how the chat room interact with us because it, it is fun. They have their. I mean, they will go off on wild. T- There's the a whole thing okay. about Miami yeah. <laughs> while we're talking about completely different stuff.
2: Yeah, but still download the podcast. Yeah, please. Do, do both oh yeah, yeah.
1: yeah do that absolutely buy
2: the single and the album that's what we want number one we're massive in greece
1: <laughs> all right clappers you got in because i haven't awarded it yet congratulations all right here we go so uh at the top we have wish waiter getting in with uh oh i'm sorry evangelos our friend evangelos win with mclare renaissance oh oh that is educated and cultured that's a contender Absolutely. Uh Nicholas Andrew feels you deserve a five second time penalty for defending Derasta. no stand by it. I mean I no one
2: no one finds Mercedes more more annoying machetes. than me. But it's that is our problem. That is not Paul Deresta's problem. That is our problem.
1: Absolutely. And Nicholas Andrew is in with see you guys are missing the big point though. Mercedes have not gotten a new contract with Mercedes for engines for twenty one. Will Merck keep Merck on board? Oh, Mercedes-Renault
2: in a very Merception. bizarre twist. Yes. <laughs> okay, okay. You, that's the first time you've made me laugh this year. Well done. Go on. All
1: right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, European, uh, Ferrari to bring, bring a boat upgrade at Suzuka.
2: Oh, because of the typhoon. Yes, I get that. I
1: get Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And then finally, I think Clappers is in with chat was polite because nobody's driver has lost a race.
2: That's true, yeah. Uh, I, did, I As I said it, I was like, yeah, it's not a race review, though, is it? Like no one's spitting mad that their driver got got told to like, swap a position or spun out. Uh, who's our winner then, Matt?
1: I think our winner has to be Evangelos Ateroclitus. McClare Renaissance. It is just so clever and only one word.
2: Mm, I don't know. This is an elitist award now. We've given it to the poshest comment. Comment of the week. I like it though. What time does the Japanese Grand Prix start in the UK? It's like six,
1: six a.m., isn't it? It's like a proper, proper early start. Uh, it's like, I, 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 it's, this is like one of those, I'm three in the morning. It's horrible, <laughs> horrible, horrible.
2: It's, it's at least you like, get like uh. a full night's sleep after that though, don't you? Like you can like chill and then for, for Steve, no. Steve is on the race review on Monday. So we're doing it like Sunday night here. He's doing it on Monday because he's in the future.
3: Yeah, but I don't want spoilers.
1: Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors Inc.
0: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.